Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's RBC Heritage. Joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, we are not even 24 hours removed from John Rahm slipping on a green jacket, yet the show must go on. There, there are there are fields to break down. There are salaries available, and there's a new golf course to talk about. Yeah, and it's interesting because we have an elevated event. And I think it was pretty smart for the PGA Tour to, to make the – I mean, obviously there were other reasons involved, but to make the RBC Heritage elevated because I, I think – it avoids the typical hangover. I mean, we all maybe feel the Masters hangover, but the reality is we have this big ticket golf tournament coming up. And it's just one of those things where we we are forced to pay attention because the field is elite. And it feels like, you know, from a talent standpoint, it's it's a very, very slight drop off from the Masters in terms of the people in the field. There are two notables who are not in the field, see one Rory McIlroy who withdrew this morning, Monday morning, I guess, depending on when you are listening to this. And Will Zalatoris, who not only withdrew from this event, but underwent back surgery on Saturday and has released a statement that he will be out for the season. He's hoping to come back in the fall. So obviously we're sending our, our best to, to Will for a, a speedy recovery, but it stinks, man. Young up-and-coming star who's fun to watch and um, it seems to always be in the mix at big events, will not be around for this season. And it's one of those things we addressed a few months ago when we were like, wait a minute, he had surgery, right? I mean, we obviously he didn't, but that's what we speculated because we knew that those, those uh, lower back injuries were, you know, seemed pretty bad because I think they were called herniations. So listen, I, I you know, I, I played doctor back then and I don't want to play it now, but it just, it does seem like a surgery was going to be appropriate at some time. And, and so hopefully by maybe the turn of the calendar uh, in terms of the year, maybe he's ready, but it's going to be some, it's going to take some time. Unfortunately, he's a young star. He's likely to bounce back more than a guy who's in his thirties or forties or fifties. But um, I think he still has a bright future. It's just, it just kind of sucks that, um, we're not going to see him for a while. Still obviously a amazing field that we have for this week, and they're going to be battling it out at, at in Hilton Head uh, at Harbor Town, which this is a very unique golf course, Sia, and also one that will uh, con- contrast what we saw last week pretty pretty significantly, right? The, the ability to kind of bop it around all over the yard at, at uh, Augusta National is, is not going to be the case around Harbor Town. Yeah, it's not going to be the case. I mean, you're generally going to want to focus on players who are going to be just really elite on approach. I think some people might look at putting a little bit around the green because we have these tiny greens. I think off the tee is certainly minimized here. I mean, I certainly want to look at guys who are going to keep it in the fairway, but some of those accuracy stats might be misleading because we know some of these these heavy hitters who might not be as accurate 
they're probably clubbing down more often than not. So um, keeping it in the fairway, I don't think is going to be a huge concern for me across the board. It's that elite approach play that I really want to dial in on. And some of those global stats, Rick, um, like T to green, weighted T to green or greens in regulation, that's certainly something I'm going to be looking at. Yeah, before we dive too deep into this uh, into this golf course, uh, let me remind everyone the, that the one and done link is now available for the fans. The fans and... Was it you, Sia, that had Rory McIlroy last week? It was me. Oh, it was me. I knew that the fans were complaining about somebody mushing them. They were complaining <laughs> about the Sia mush. Yeah, the Sia mush is back, apparently. I mean, listen, I, I, I'm not even surprised. I, I really wasn't strategically waiting to, like, use Rory in a certain place. I just figured the Masters was a pretty good time to speculate on him. Um, I don't even feel bad about, quote, wasting the pick. I do feel about bad about getting $0. Um, I truly wasn't really big on him in DFS. My, my ticket with Roy was really in the first cut one and done. And, and that was pretty much, you know, call it a day. So it's just one of those things. The fans currently reside in fourth, uh, just actually a hundred thousand dollars out of third place. Kyle M sits there. So you can now check out the link in the description fans. You can get your vote in and you can try to continue to make your way up the board. It is tightening at the top, just $700,000 between Mark and I I'm coming for him. You know, he, he, I got to get this guy. I got to get him. These elevated events really changed the game because Rick, it's so cool to see you up there in, in that 10 mil mark with Mark. But the reality is Whoever in the chase pack, which includes me, you know, if you get the first place guy this week, then look, we're staring down, we're staring down Rick Gaiman and Mark Immelman as well. So this is just, it really changes the game. I think about half the elevated events have already happened. I think we have like five or six more. Oh, I don't even think we've like sniffed. uh, Well, hold on. Are you counting majors in that as well? No, I'm talking about just the elevated events. I feel like we're like six down at this point with six to go. Uh, off the top of my head, we played Kapalua, we played Phoenix, Riviera, we played uh, – is that it? Is that the only three elevated events? Because Tori was not elevated. There's more. There's one, I'm, there's one I'm missing recently. Was it the API that was elevated? Okay. Bay Hill was elevated. And the players. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the match play. Yep. That's six. That's six. Okay. So we've got, uh, again, off the top of my head, we've got Memorial. We've got Wells Fargo. We have this one, RBC Heritage. That's three. We have the three or the two, I guess, playoff events. That's five. That might be all of them. Well, I know there's, I believe there's 13 total. So we might, but the point, the, the larger point is we're about halfway through, you know, the, the countdown of elevated events, which is, which is, I think more than people think. Travelers is the last one that I hadn't, mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of. There you go. So yes. Um, yes, for sure. Okay. Wow. We are rocking and rolling through this season. Uh, Troy, if you could uh, share my screen, that'd be splendid. This is my website, rickrungood.com. This is the course key stats model. I described Harbor town as a unique golf course and it is for a couple of reasons. It's a par 71. It lacks, uh, one of the traditional par fives, only three par fives. It is a golf course that demands, demands precision 
off the TCA and does not even really reward distance all that much. It's a very positional golf course with uh, lots of dog legs in which you are not only going to want to be in the fairway, but the correct side of the fairway, the correct angle. And you are also going to essentially be asked to hit into some of the smallest greens that we have on the PGA tour, about 3,700 square feet on average. So very, very different from what we just saw last week at Augusta national. Very different. And that's why my emphasis is really going to be on, on the approach play. I mean, I, honestly, I think all irons in play, I know, I think it's 175 to 200. There's a little bit more than PGA tour average, but really it's just the general approach game for me. And that that's why I'm also looking at greens and regulation, because I do want those guys that I think are going to be a little bit more precise on these smaller greens. Uh, so th- those are definitely two, a couple of the things I'm looking at. But it's interesting to see your, your correlated stats to success because, well, approach the green is the, the top one on there. Yeah, I mean, and and just terms of, of like raw value approach, strokes gain approach is always the like the highest correlated stat. Now, strokes gain to I'm just talking about like the individual stats here, and the fact that it this one is even more important just obviously jumps off the screen. I will also say, you know, I'm going to read you through the list of of winners here recently, Sia, and I will obviously caveat this by saying none of these have been elevated events. Mm-hmm. Um, 2020, we got basically a major championship field because this was like the second f- week back from shutdown. But outside of that, this is not a strong field. But listen to the eclectic group of names here. So Jordan Spieth wins it last year. Stewart Sink won it in 2021. He's won it three times. Webb Simpson won that major-esque 2020 version. C.T. Pan, Satoshi Kodaira, Wesley Bryan, Brandon Grace, Jim Furyk, uh, his second time, Matt Kuchar, Graham McDowell. I, I mean, this is uh, this allows literally everybody in the field to have a chance. No one is boxed out based on distance alone. And I think we'll probably get a big time winner because it's a big time field. But it, it's it's not going to be the top ten players in the world ranked one through ten. Right. What's interesting about that, though, is because that's the perception going in, I think uh, I think some of these guys that are considered sort of the long guys, maybe maybe like a Cameron Young, for example, I think they might get boxed out a little bit more than they should because they're like, oh, well, this isn't the tournament to take Cam Young, just as an example. And they're they're just going to be going for more of the plotters. So I think that's something we could potentially when when ownership starts to reveal itself, we could potentially use to our advantage, because, again, I think some of those those big guys that, that really do have the advantage off the tee, they're going to be clubbing down anyway, but also they're, they're going to be so much better with those longer approaches, um, especially if, if your name is Cam Young or, or one of those players that really has a, a precise approach game. So if you take the stat model from up top, the stats that are really going to matter, and you put it together with the last 36 for everybody in the field, Colin Morikawa gets the best adjusted fit number. That's no surprise. That passes the sniff test to me. Colin's only weakness is that he doesn't hit it as far as his peers. That doesn't matter. He's the best approach player in the world, most likely. And that's obviously something that gets weighed pretty heavily around here. So that passes the sniff test. Scotty Scheffler, number two. John Rahm, number three. Max Homa, four. Xander, five. You get a couple other uh, more interesting names that are cheaper. Fiena out six, then Hadwin, Brendan Todd, Chris Kirk, Terrell Hatton. So pretty interesting 
little event for this week. Um, lots to talk about. I think we should probably just start naming some names here, Sia. So we're going to jump into the cheat sheet, but first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. The cheat sheets, $10,000 range. John Rahm leads the way 11,100. Scotty Scheffler, 11,000. Jordan Spieth, 10,4. Patrick Cantlay, 10,3. Colin Morikawa, $10,000. The salaries did come out after Rory McElroy. No. Yes, they came out after Rory McIlroy withdrew. So he was not ever slotted into a price. So there's there's not that like gap that we might see at the top sometimes when 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 something like that happens. So everything's pretty clean here. Sia, how do you want to attack the 10K range? It's obviously really tough here. I mean, I, I think it's really hard to construct lineups if you include John Rahm or Scotty Scheffler in your lineup, just for whatever that's worth, because I, I've tried it. And you're really kind of scraping because if you take Scotty Scheffler or John Rahm, it's really hard to fit a 9K guy in there with it and have enough money left over where you're getting some of the guys that you're really comfortable with in the 7K range. You're probably skipping the 8K range altogether, which is why I think when you're talking about roster construction, I think this is a big roster construction week where if you think you know where where a lot of people are going, at least with respect to the like the, the price ranges, let's say they grab Scotty or Rahm or, or they come down to Colin Morikawa and then they grab a mid to 9K guy, let's say a Cantley and a, and a, a mid to high 9K guy, I think you generally know where they end up which is in that mid 7K range. And in which case they're going to go down to the low 7Ks and grab a guy, a sneaky guy. And then they're going to go to the high seven guys and grab a guy that like Matt Kuchar or Connors or Henley or one of those guys that I think people are going to be really comfortable with. So just know that going in from a roster construction standpoint, that if you do it a little bit differently, and if you include some guys in ranges that are just going to get bypassed because people are going to grab different guys in that 10K range, that might be one way to construct your lineups. But as far as the guys up here, the, the guys I'm focused on are actually below Rom and Scotty Shuffler. It's Patrick Cantlay, who I know everybody hates right now, including me. Rick, let me just share a story for you before I talk about Patrick Cantlay and we look at his stats here on rickrungood.com. So yesterday... At the beginning of round four, I'm in first place in one of, I think it was the 50K scramble. And first place, you know, it's $5,000. It's a legitimate amount of money. And I had Thomas Peters. I had Joaquin Neiman. I had Jordan Spieth. And they were all, you know, just kind of fine, whatever. Uh, Peters didn't have a good day. But my three top guys going into round four, the reason I was in first place, I had Patrick Cantley, Victor Hovland, and Brooks Kepka. I was coasting so good to a top three finish, which, which would have been a four-figure finish, if really even Brooks could have gotten caught by Rom, I still would have been in really good shape. Those guys shot a collective plus eight in round four. And just to give everybody some perspective, Phil Mickelson shot seven under. That's a 15-shot difference between Phil Mickelson and the collective scores of the three guys that I needed in DFS yesterday. I was going to say, said, they were like basically the only three guys that went in the wrong direction. Oh, not basically. They were. <laughs> if you take a screenshot, you take that Masters app and you take a screenshot from, from Rom down – it's literally only three guys that are over par inside the top of whatever 17, whatever fits in your iPhone screenshot. I think it might've been the top 20, but it's literally three guys at over par plus three, plus three, plus two. And everybody else was either even or put up an amazing score like Phil or Jordan Spieth. It was unbelievably just uncanny that those three guys, listen, it's not the worst bad beat story I've ever had, but it's just was very frustrating with that said, 
I think Cantlay's fine here at 10,300. Uh, one note is, is last year at the RBC, he was actually number one ball striking. He just wasn't great with the short game. But I think this is a fine course fit for Patrick Cantlay. So he's one of the guys I like. I see you're pu- pulling up his RBC yeah. stats. And it's that around the green play that, that really plagued him here. But other than that, he's been pretty good. Yeah, I mean, he's played here five times. He has four top seven finishes, including that runner-up finish last year. This, since getting dialed in with his new clubs, um, he's basically been the best ball striker in the world. I'm not I'm not even really exaggerating that much. So if you do those five events, those last 20 rounds, um, it's Scotty Scheffler, number one, 2.3 in terms of strokes game ball striking, Patrick Cantlay, number two, and then big gap to everybody else. So he is absolutely dialed in. I agree. He is very annoying to watch and to root for and to all that stuff. But what would not be annoying is counting your money if he is on your team and he has a great week. <laughs> you know what I'd love to know is if Victor – um, really like if, if, if he would say to himself or to yeah. maybe one of his friends who knows him really well, who's on this show yeah. and who's not yeah. named Sian Ajad could maybe yeah. text him and be like, Hey, Hey, did that actually affect you? Yeah. I'm going to ask him. I, I've, I'm giving him, I was, I, I wasn't going to reach out the day after the Masters. <laughs> I was going to give him a little bit of, a little bit of breathing room, but, uh, I will, I, I, the next time I talk to him, I'll ask about it. Cause I was, th- I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, so I, I do like Cantley. I also like Colin Morikawa. I wonder if Colin Morikawa is going to be super popular or not. I mean, he is pretty expensive, so I don't know that he's going to be super popular, but I think people are going to name him first when they're just breaking down this range. Not necessarily the 10K range, but some of these upper-tier guys. He does seem like a really good course fit. 10th at the Masters, 13th at the Players, 6th um, weighted tee to green, just last 24 rounds, decent course history. Um, last year, he was second in the field ball striking. And that would, I, I guess, be right behind Patrick Cantley. Yeah, I guess they would have been one, too. Um, he lost it all with the short game last year. That's why he didn't have a good RBC. But uh, he certainly makes sense. Those are the two guys I like the best. And it's mostly because I, I think their prices are palatable. Yeah. And so what I find to be actually the most interesting wrinkle of making the RBC Heritage an elevated event is that we are getting a lot of the high-end guys who don't routinely play here. The general schedule for an elite player is similar to each other's. And also, this it's fairly consistent year over year. We know where uh, Xander Shoffley is going to play, we know where Jordan Spieth is going to play, whatever. So, to get a week where you take an event that not a lot of these guys have played and make it an elevated event. I mean, Max Homa's played here once in five years. Uh, Xander's played here three times. Tony Finau's played here once. Cam Young, obviously a rookie, once. More, uh, Hovland, once. Morikawa, three times. Scotty Scheffler's never played here. And really, the, a, a lot of it was 2020 when everybody played in these events. So it's like, wow, there is not a lot of history to go on. So I do wonder, Sia, how much people will – Give Cantlay the nod for the elite course history. We'll give Morikawa the nod for like good course history and then give Spieth the nod as your defending champion. I do wonder if people will treat that greater than normal just because there's not a lot of any results at the top of the board. I think when it comes to the upper tier players, I think they're going to treat it like they would normally treat course history. I think where I have sort of the separation where I'm kind of minimizing course history quite a bit 
is with some of those lower tier players that have been very successful here. I'm not suggesting that they're going to be unsuccessful necessarily, but I do think with mostly watered down fields outside of what you mentioned, 2020, guys like Matt Kuchar or Webb Simpson, who I don't think a lot of people are going to play anyway, but some of these guys with really good, even Corey Connors, who who I actually kind of like, some of these guys, that history doesn't matter too much to me because we have so many more guys at the top that they didn't have to contend with. So that doesn't mean they're going to do poorly, but it does mean that they do get pushed down a little bit more. And, and, and so you have to contrast who's in the field now versus what their history was then when those guys weren't in the field. Every single golfer, $9,300 or more finished inside the top 26 of the Masters last week. If you take out Tony Finau, who finished 26, every other golfer finished inside the top 14. So obviously some good play uh, at Augusta National coming in for a lot of these guys. I'm generally with you. I think I think Cantlay is really interesting. I'm hoping that the little the little negative that might just be golf Twitter that is like annoyed with Patrick Cantlay, but I'll take like the five percent or whatever discount I meant might end up getting because he is truly doing special stuff. And the other thing about Cantlay is he's such a course guy. Like when he goes to a course that he's had success on, he just like continues to have success. Like there's mm-hmm. just a, I don't know if it's a comfortability level or whatever it is, but I, I love getting him at places like this. I will say this, th- there's arguments to be made for all of these guys, 10 K and above. And that of course includes Rahm and Scheffler. We're definitely getting, getting an ownership discount on Rahm and Scheffler this week. It's just, it's just inevitable uh, for a variety of different reasons, including the pricing, but also Rahm winning last week. There's just a lot of stuff going on there. I think it's going to be pretty flat 10 K and above. And, and I think the benefit of that is you can kind of, if you really like a guy, you can kind of go with that guy. But I do just to point out Rahm and Scheffler, their their ownership percentage is not going to be super high. I, I pretty much know that for a fact. I think people are going to fall in love with the price ranges of, let's say, Spieth on the way down. The 9K range, Victor Hovland, $9,800, Cam Young, 96 Tony Finau at 94, Xander Shoffley 93, and Max Homan 91. That's it. Those five golfers, Sia. Um, how do we want to start spending our bucks here? Two guys I really like. Victor Hovland, I've been saying for quite some time now that Victor Hovland's about to win. We've seen sort of that that progression, and I've almost been right, not really. I mean, these last three tournaments, 7th, 3rd, and 10th, and oh, by the way, that's at the Masters, the Players, and the Arnold Palmer Invitational. The ball striking is fantastic. 21st here in 2020, which, you know, is, is fine. I just think he's ready to win. This is a trajectory where I think, and we saw it really, you know, yesterday on, on Sunday at the Masters, you know, going into round four, there was no reason to think that if Brooks was going to falter, that it wouldn't be Rom and Hovland and maybe Cantlay like having something to say about it on the back nine. And just, you know, Victor Hovland just had a, a bad day. It's just one of those things. But I think Victor Hovland very well could win this tournament. And I really like the price here. I think it might look a little pricey to some people. And maybe it is. If that's the case, then his ownership is going to be even less than than uh, I anticipate, which I love it even more. Yeah, I mean, the the ball striking um gains are juicy and they are phenomenal. I think that if you are worried about the short game, which listen, it's a valid statistical concern. You know, he gained 0.6 strokes around the green at one of the toughest places in the world to hit pitches and chips. And while these are small greens, the difficulty around the greens at Harbortown is not really there. It's, you know, it's thick, little rough and not much uh, elevation or anything like that. So might be a decent spot to run out Victor. The 
So let me know if I've read too much into this about Tony Finau. Uh, I don't think Tony believes himself that this is a particularly good spot for him. You know, someone who has had the ability to play at this golf tournament as often as he wants has played here three times. And I throw out 2020 because everybody played here. So he's only ever played here in 2015, 2016 and hasn't had much success. Like, I don't I don't even think Tony can convince himself that this is a good place for him. Yeah, and you can't really convince me that that I should be playing him. I mean, at 9,400, he probably won't get a ton of ownership. Like last week, I think a lot of people were on him because of the value. I, I don't really see the value this week, especially with this type of setup and this type of history. I, you know, I know Tony Finau had that stretch where he just went off last year. I just haven't been interested in playing him. And it's, it's not because I don't think Tony Finau is good. It's usually because... He's he's either too popular or he's he's paired or he's next to people that I just think have more upside than him. I know that might sound crazy to some people, but like I'll take Cameron Young over Tony Finau all day in terms of if I'm assessing upside alone all day. Yeah, and just the, to note, so Cam Young has played here before he finished uh, third here last year, as I'm pulling up right now. T3, he was $7,500. Those days are are long gone. He gained four and a half uh, strokes off the off the tee, another three on approach. I mean, it was, it was a phenomenal performance. What I love about his game is, yes, he has an elite skill set in the way that he drives the ball, but his game translates. I mean, you look at, if I just sort this by strokes gained total, you're just going to see like – all the different golf courses, right? I mean, Austin Country Club, Riviera, Detroit Golf Club, um, Quail Hollow. We already talked about uh, Country Club of Jackson, Augusta National, Harbor. I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, it, it doesn't matter where it is in the world. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad for a bomber. He kind of transcends a lot of different golf course setups, which is terrifying and also kind of crazy the fact that he hasn't won yet. Yeah, and he's really the other guy I like in this 9K range. I mean, he was third here last year. And he, by the way, remember, Jordan Spieth lost like two and a half strokes putting last yep. year and, and won the tournament. Well, guess what? Cameron Young, who was T3, also lost strokes putting. He was really good T to green just in general. And for the record, last 24 rounds, he's sixth weighted T to green. So uh, big – oh, no, I should say – yeah, sixth weighted T to green. So big fan of, of Cameron Young this week. <laughs> We have some really interesting names in the $8,000 range, and then obviously we'll find you some value at the bottom of this board. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. And we're back. The $8,000 range starts with not a typo, Justin <laughs> Thomas at 8,900, Sam Burns, 87, Sungjae, 86, Tom Kim, 85, and the rest of the 8K range is Fitzpatrick, Lowry, Hatton, Fleetwood, and Sahith. Uh, see, I'll just, I'll just tell you the last time I, I I've been tracking salaries and odds for about five years, dating back to the start of 2018. There is one occasion in which I have found a cheaper Justin Thomas. He was 8,800 in August of 2018. It was the WGC FedEx St. Jude Invitational. He won that event, and we have not seen him sniff a price like this since then. Well, did people tell him he was he was priced that low when he won the FedEx St. Jude? Because I, I almost feel like he needs bulletin board material. I will say this, though. There's an argument to be made for Justin Thomas. I think the pro, what I'm really curious about, and I know you have ownership on your site, Rick, What's this guy's ownership? Because it is so eye-catching. I, I can't remember a time 
And I'm not saying it's not deserved. I actually think it is deserved where he is, by the way. But I can't remember a time where I saw a player at a certain price and I was like, oh, my gosh. Not because it was such great value, but just it was just an oh, my gosh moment. Like, I've not I've not seen that before. At least I don't recall seeing that before. This is really interesting. How how much ownership do you think he gets? Because obviously he hasn't been very good. Yeah, I don't know. I it's tough for me to say. And, and obviously as the week goes on, we'll get the ownership projections on RickRangood.com. But like I didn't think he was that bad. I mean, he played well until the restart. He had a couple of really bad holes in the restart on Saturday morning in the bad weather. And like Missed the cut. Uh, okay. I guess, I guess that's bad, but I don't know. I feel like I can cut him a little bit of slack. He finished T10 at the Valspar before that. He has not been elite Justin Thomas, but man, he's going to go to a golf course. that's going to reward the second shot. He's going to go to a golf course that he doesn't have to hit driver on. Like, I, I don't know. I could definitely convince myself into this. Oh, I definitely can too. If he is going to be like just a moderate, just ownership level, which I'm not sure he's going to be because I think people in DFS golf, they understand like, let's play the upside even if we don't like the play too much. So that's that's my worry there. But I, I kind of like the idea of, you know, kind of the pressure being off for, for the Masters. He had a bad day. But to your point, you brought up his stat profile. It wasn't bad. His ball striking is actually quite good. His around the green play is quite good. He's had yeah. a really bad putter here and there. But even the putter's been okay. So at 8,900, he makes a ton of sense. And by the way, it's such a good way to build your lineup. And and again, that's why I think people are going to fall in love with this. You you can build a lineup with, let's say, two 9K guys that you like and Justin Thomas and still have like a a low to mid 7K range left where you take a maybe a high 6K guy, a low 7K guy, and then you you end your lineup in that 7,500, 7,600 range. It allows you to do a lot. He's also played here four times. Uh, two of them are top eleven finishes, so he's got some decent, decent results around here as well. And 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 the T eight was in twenty twenty when the field was absolutely stacked. Mm-hmm. So, boy, as the week goes on, I will, I'm sure, I will convince myself that Justin Thomas is going to win this golf tournament. Um, if it's not JT in the eight K range, where are we headed next? This is tough. This was a tough range for me. I think all of these are really kind of clever plays and it might come down to ownership a little bit, but Sung JM certainly makes a lot of sense. I mean, he he's sort of that same profile as, as Colin in the sense that we don't think he's a super long hitter because he's not. And that's not really going to hurt him here. The approach game should be really solid for Sungjae and the short game should be solid. The T to green numbers look really good. He makes a lot of sense. So I, I wonder if he's going to end up being... He's not going to be a pivot from Justin Thomas, but I think both of those guys make a lot of sense in that range. Two other guys that I think I would be willing to consider, Tom Kim, another guy that sort of fits the course profile. Uh And by the way, T16 at the Masters, that's pretty great if you think about it, because that's not a great course fit for him necessarily. And if you you talk about his numbers coming into the Masters, they were okay, but we weren't seeing a lot of the finishing positions that we were used to seeing late last year with Tom Kim. So we might be catching him on the rise with kind of a perfect course. And so I think he he makes a lot of sense at 8,600. And I don't think he's going to be super popular either. I, I think this is a very good test for Tom Kim because, yeah. um, you know, a lot of the conversation has been around he does not have – um, he does not have the distance to compete at some of these other golf courses. Well, okay, you're going to the golf course where distance probably matters the least and mm-hmm. just play out of the correct spot and hit your, and everybody's equal from the second shot in it. This should be a place Tom Kim thrives. We're, we're going to find out. I think he's the guy that, you know, remove any financial interest or rooting interest that I might have in him. I'm just genuinely excited to see how he does. 
That's really interesting you say it like that because, you know, the master's is intrigue unto itself. And so it's hard to like make that statement about a singular player at the Masters other than like the popular ones like Rory and Tiger and, and guys like that. This tournament, I think I think there's so many questions about so many either elite players like Justin Thomas or even like a Colin Morikawa or Victor Hovland and some of these kind of players that are just near the elite range like Tom Kim. I think what's going to ding Tom Kim, and by the way, he's 8,500, I might've said 8,600, is that he has no course experience here. So so I don't think he's going to have like super high ownership. And frankly, I think people are going to be way more inclined to either pay up for Justin Thomas or Sung J.M., or pay down for the other guy that I, I do like that I'm probably not going to play a ton of because he is going to be popular and he has great course history, Shane Lowry. Yeah. Two third place finishes in one ninth place over his last four trips. Um, that is very, very telling. And again, he's more of an elite player, so I'm willing to buy into that history a little bit more. And he's done it, by the way, with elite approach play and elite putting. And that's kind of the combo I'm looking for here. Yeah, I did see a... Um... It was a Shane Lowry versus Matt Kuchar matchup. And I was like, oh boy, this is just like battle of the of the course history, guys. T3, T9, miscut, T3 for Lowry. And then also coming off a T16 finish at the Masters last year. I'm trying to see if there's anything else. Oh, I did want to point this out for Matt Fitzpatrick. Uh, you know, we've been questioning, like, is this dude healthy? What's the mm-hmm. deal? Are we waiting? Are we trying to be early? The the stat line at the Masters looked great. I mean, I don't love that he lost four strokes around the green, but he was basically Matt Fitzpatrick everywhere else. I think I'm generally ready to treat him as healthy Fitzpatrick moving forward. Yeah, uh, I took an L on that one quite literally because last week on the early wedge, I gave out three tournament matchups. Fortunately, the other two cashed quite, quite easily. One was um, I was uh, I was on Henley uh, against Seamus Power. And then the other one was a fade. I think it was uh, Adam Scott versus Bryson DeChambeau. And I'm just going to fade Bryson in every market. But the one I lost was Corey Connors, who, for the record, I didn't play in DFS, but he was plus 108 versus Matt Fitzpatrick. And I was just playing the, hey, Fitzpatrick hasn't looked good card. And I, I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's particularly healthy. And I, I was definitely wrong about that. So I think he's really interesting. I don't think he's going to get a lot of ownership either. The curse of winning the week before the masters got Corey Connors, uh, mm-hmm. no, could not overcome that one. Okay. Seven uh, K range. So this is Keegan and Corey Connors down to Mackenzie Hughes, Justin, uh, Adam Spence and those types of guys. I'll just throw it out. Like I'm a, Again, we've got a no course history situation, but like I believe Keegan Bradley's better than guys uh, in this range. I I'm just kind of a believer in Keegan right now until until somebody proves me otherwise. So, um, what else do we want to do here in the seven K range? I actually had my eyes on Keegan as well. I'm noticing his history here because we're looking at the last five years. It goes, he I mean, he's played court? here before, right? Yeah. It's just a, uh, it was well, just a while ago. Let's just double. Let's just double check. Well, by the way, the last, yeah, he's played it twice. He played it in 2017 T44, and he played it in 2011. Uh, he missed the cut. <laughs> okay, so well, we can maybe at least we know that that as of six years ago, he was he was on the course and somewhat familiar with it. No, I, I like Keegan for this course quite a bit. I, I do like Corey Connors. I know I just mentioned him again. I didn't play him last week, but this week at 7800. I don't know that the the golf community is just going to suddenly be off of him because I I know it's we're a little bit more sophisticated now. Like the listeners of this show and the listeners of a lot of, of the other content, they don't just come off of a player just because of of one bad one bad round. But the cool thing here is that the seven K range, especially seventy five hundred to seventy nine hundred, it's so rich 
with talent, for lack of a better way to say it, that I don't think any of these guys are going to be uber popular because it's just there's just too many players to pick from. Corey Connors is one of them. Um, his record here is great. 12th, 4th, and 21st here. Weighted T to green numbers, obviously very good, as you, you might expect. Wyndham Clark's another one. Uh, inside the top 12, weighted T to green, excellent approach, solid greens in regulation. Uh, I, I, I just I don't think he's going to be super popular either, even though I know his name's going to come up everywhere. Because you got Chris Kirk here, too. You got Matt Kuchar. There's just so many guys in the 7K range that I think you can maybe pick one of these guys. I'd I'd hesitate to pick two because I think collectively these guys are probably going to be more popular than you want them to be. But I, I like at, at the top of the 7K range, I like Connors. I like Wyndham Clark. I like Chris Kirk. I'm genuinely torn on Wyndham Clark. I think it depends on what version you believe you're going to get. 2023 mm-hmm. version? Awesome. Let's go. 2022 and prior version, this has got to be like the absolute worst place in the world for him because he usually just sprays it all over the yard. Now, I imagine he'll be able to club down a little bit. And what he has done on approach is uh, genuinely phenomenal uh, this year. So I I, I tend to lean towards he's a different player now. But this is the hardest guy in the field that that I've had to, to handicap, in my opinion. Yeah, I like him. You know, we, we've we been on him for, for some time now. I know what the Valspar, I was on him too. And, and it's because of how he's sort of what I, I don't know how else to say it. He's just revolutionized his game a bit. It's He's become the guy that's like, okay, off the tee and really good on approach. And so I think you're right. I think he's going to end up clubbing down, being smart enough to keep it in the fairway. And we've seen the finishing positions. You know, one thing I'd question about Wyndham Clark is, is the upside, but we've seen that, granted, one was at Corrales, but we've seen the finishing positions be inside the top 10. And I don't think he's peaked yet. That's the thing about Wyndham Clark, because once the off the tee game, and maybe it's not this turn, but once that off the tee game that we've seen meets the approach game, and we know he can get it together with the short stuff, uh, he's primed to win. It's probably not going to be this week, but he's primed to win maybe one of these lower-level tournaments. Here's the Matt Kuchar stat profile. So he did not play the Masters, uh, didn't qualify, but ninth at the match play. That means he won his group but didn't advance further than that. Uh, T3 at Valero with some pretty decent ball-striking numbers. Then if you want to see some elite course history, uh, you'll find it here with Kuch. So 15 straight years of making the cut, 13 straight years of gaining from T to green. He's got a win in there in 2014, a T3 last year, runner up in 2019, bunch of other top tens and top 25s along the way. So um, Cooch is certainly here. And then, and then the other one, Ricky Fowler, right? I mean, do, what level of anything, if at all, are we putting on guys that didn't play last week, right? Ricky was trending in the right direction, finished T10 at the Valero. You know, Jordan Spieth has already spoke about how much golf has been played to this point in the season and how he was mentally tired before the the masters last week i mean there might be there might be a case to be made that the guys who are well rested might get a little bit of a bump this week here's the problem let's look at the last two efforts of ricky fowler i know he's missed the cut but let's actually look at the metrics because i took a peek at them and it would have been in 2022 and in 2020 when we had that loaded field and it's it's not great. No, it's not. The counter argument is that he's better now. Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, I don't know yeah. if I believe that. I'm just telling you what the counter argument is. Is that no, he's definitely better now. I agree with you. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, he has played he has played here well, a lot of these are a long time ago, but he has played here six times. He's missed the cut in five of them. He has a T8, but that goes all the way back to 2008. So this is not this is not a place that was like a staple on Ricky's schedule by any stretch mm-hmm. of the imagination. And he doesn't have a lot of great history around here. 
Yeah, he's going to be a, a pass for me. So is Matt Kuchar, by the way, in, in tournaments. Like his history, it's just people are going to be on Matt Kuchar. I think it is going to be largely flat in that 7,500 to 7,900 range, but he will soak up a lot of the ownership. And I just, 7K chalk is just something I try my best to stay away from. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it like I do it, but it's it was the same thing with Corey Connors last week where people were like, oh, you kind of got to play him and you kind of don't got to play him. So Kuchar is going to be one of those guys too that I'm actually going to hold his history against him a little bit in the sense that you know he's not typically playing this tournament in elite field so i just don't think the upside is there as much as people might think with matt Kuchar. there's two that i uh tend to like a bit more than others poston who's got three pretty strong finishes in a row and then this is just such a jt poston golf course and he has taken advantage of it he's played here four times three of them are top eight finishes and then the other one is ben martin who is literally mm-hmm. the hottest guy in this field Sia over the last 36 rounds, he's 0.8 strokes per round over his own baseline. It doesn't necessarily, that doesn't mean that he is now better than like John Rahm is, but he is just the hottest compared to, you know, the, the 100 round baseline. And, and this is, this is some pretty elite stuff that we're seeing right now Four top 15s in his last six stars. They're obviously not the greatest fields in the world, but uh, that's why he's Ben Martin, but he's a lot cheaper than all those other guys. And here's the thing, Rick, I I say it every so often that this podcast, this show, I should say, comes out on a Monday. And I don't know that we get the proper recognition or the proper pats on the back because there's so much content that comes out after us. This is unequivocally the Ben Martin podcast. This is the Ben Martin show. We have been on Ben Martin. We have seen this trajectory and it's paying off, not just with the metrics that you showed, but with the finishing positions as well. And he's still down there in that 7,100 range. Is he a guarantee to make the cut? Of course not. But everything has been, like you said, Rick, everything has been very good. Um, Poston is interesting. I might be off of him if, if the ownership gets high. I'll probably be off of him anyway, but I do like him. Ben Martin and Sam Stevens, I think, is really interesting at 7,000. Another guy that we've talked about over the last few weeks, he is really popping. Yeah, he's uh, starting to get his feet underneath him on the PGA Tour, starting to put together some better finishes. He's got four top 15s in his last six or seven starts, and uh, his last two are phenomenal, T3 and Punta Cana, and a runner-up at the Valero. Um, So, yeah, Sam Stevens rocking out a little bit. Anybody else in the 7K range that we need to talk about, or should we continue on? Well, you know, I I don't know how you feel about Russell Henley and Justin Rose. I probably won't be on either of them. But again, they are in that sort of range, that that upper 7K range that I think a lot of people are going to gravitate to. And then down in the in the lower 7K range, there's guys like Adam Scott, Minwoo Lee, Taylor Moore, Tom Hoagie that I think are all going to be relatively like interesting to people. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be on any of those guys other than maybe actually, no, none of those guys. I don't think I'm going to be on maybe Adam Scott. Oof. Minwoo is, uh, Minwoo did not have himself uh, a week at the man lost seven strokes on approach at the masters. That's, you know, it's such so tragic about that for, for everybody playing Minwoo Lee's, I believe he was the same price as Brooks Kepka. So if you make the wrong was. choice there, you, it was, there was three guys at 7,600. It was, it was Minwoo, Brooks and Corey Connors. So hopefully, so two out of the three missed the cut and one, uh, you know, obviously nearly won the golf tournament. So that's right. Sick. And, but any of those guys I mentioned, whether it be Justin Rose or or uh, Russell uh, Henley or Adam Scott or maybe a Tom Hoagie sighting. I think I mean, I think Ho- the weird thing about Hoagie is I think on paper, this is a pretty good spot for him. And he's just never really had much success. So I'm kind of right. lukewarm on that. I'd probably out of out of those guys, I'd probably prefer Rose. Um 
which is bizarre, but he's, I mean, he's improved, he's improved the metrics and he's playing some of the best golf we've seen him play in, in quite some time. He won at Pebble beach. Pebble beach is generally, um, obviously they only play two rounds there, but a, a positional golf course in which everyone kind of hits to the same spots and distance is not necessarily, uh, something that is rewarded. So yeah, I think, I think it would be rose for me out of that group. Let me ask you one other thing before we get to the 7K range, because there's two names that intrigue me. Actually, three. Um, do you like any of the following? Aaron Rye, Justin Suh, Adam Stenson. Um, Aaron Rye, Justin Suh, Adam Svensson. Yeah, Not really. I don't think so. I mean, Fair maybe enough. Justin Sub, but I got to see what his like putting numbers look like here because I'm a little bit worried. Oh, they've been better. No, I don't. I oh, don't. wow. That's that's bad for Sub. Yeah, I hadn't it, looked, which is why match, I was asking it's, you. It's match play. It's weird, but I no, I'm not generally interested in those three. Aaron Rye, has he found something? Can we pull him up real quick? Sure. Because the finishing positions haven't been bad as of late. Yeah, this looks okay. Mm hmm. I mean, this is, this is what he generally does, right? He's, he's going to be, he's got to be a positive in the ball striking categories. And you just hope he doesn't lose three, four or five strokes with the putter, which in the last two, he's been much better. Mm-hmm. That, I, I that could, interesting. This is, this is, I mean, it's probably the best stat profile of those three that you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. Okay. $6,000 range. Admittedly, Sia, I do not think there's a heck of a ton to pick through here. Mm-hmm. It's Ben Griffin, Brandon Wu, Brenton Todd, Danny Willett at the top. Uh, the min-priced the min guys like Max McGreevy, Wesley Bryan, uh, Andrew Landry. I don't even know how some of these guys got in the field in these elevated events, quite quite frankly. No offense to, to these guys, but I don't. I do not think there's a lot to pick through. I don't either, which is part of the reason I've sort of kept myself in the 68 or 6.8 K range and above. And I don't have a lot of confidence in the, in the four guys I'm about to mention, but I have enough confidence to play them. So I am going to play them in some lineups. This is why roster construction is so tough, especially if you try to fit in like Scotty or Rom or even any, really any 10 K player. And you want to pair that with a nine K player. You're down in the, in the mid seven K's low seven K's really, really quick. So you, 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 all of a sudden have to maybe consider some of these guys, but Danny Willett really crushed some of my lineups last week. I was really big over truly maybe the most overweight on Danny Willett I could have possibly been. And it ended up burning me mostly because of a, just a terrible putter lost four strokes with the putter at the masters. It's just not, not going to do it. Um, decent history here though. Uh, it's nothing great, but it's decent. And in, in the 6K range, he's third best weighted tee to green. Um, Luke List, by the way, and Nick Taylor are above him, neither of which I'm going to play. The other three guys I'll just mention real quick. Brandon Wu, no experience here, but I love his weighted approach numbers. Of these four guys, he's probably the one I'm least likely to play. JJ Spawn at 6,900. Um, a small sample size, but the ball striking yeah. is in really good shape lately with him. Yeah, Spawn's the one. And especially, again, you, this like on, pa- like on paper, this should be a great spot for him. And mm-hmm. it's been mm, not great. I mean, he's missed three out of his last four cuts, but he's played here five times. He has a T6. That was in 2017. But this should be a much better spot for him. And he's been playing better as of late. Like you're gonna you're gonna get some missed cuts from JJ Spawn. The thing that I think is interesting is that you're also gonna get like top tens from him. And I mm-hmm. don't know if there are other guys that have, I guess I could run the numbers on this, but like 
JJ Spawn, at least compared to his similarly priced peers, feels like he has more top 10 upside than than they do. They all have like the same missed cut equity. I think JJ is at least a little bit more likely to finish inside the top 10. Yeah, I think there's upside there. And his course history, I'm willing to ignore largely. 2022, I'm not going to ignore because in 2022, he was actually in pretty good form. That was when Spawn was sort of like reemerging as a player on the PGA Tour, like an actual player on the PGA Tour. Uh, it's those years prior to that that I that was a completely different JJ Spawn. So again, I think he does have the requisite upside. So I think he's he's kind of a crafty play at 6,900. The only other guy I'll mention is Tyler Duncan, uh, who's kind of splashed lately. And this does seem like a pretty good course fit fourth weighted tee to green in the 6k range and uh, the ball striking in, in greens and regulation numbers have been solid on him as well uh I was trying to pull up his stat profile here uh there you go okay the one or two that i will point out uh well spawn was one of them sixty nine hundred dollars the other one is probably and, and again i mean i don't think this is pretty is nico echeverria who we are literally only four starts removed from his win at the Puerto Rico Open. And he played well at the Valero Texas Open, finished T28, misses a bunch of cuts. And he, I think he's 60, is he 62 or 63? He's $6,200. So he is like nearly min priced for a guy who won four starts ago. That feels a bit off to me. It does. I mean, the metrics don't really back up the idea that that he can he can not win, but like that he could like top thirty this thing. But he won, so that's. Uh, and by the way, you're right. What, what am I saying? Valero, he was t twenty eight. I mean, that was a different field, mind you. But yeah, I don't hate that. I, I, if he makes the cut, I think I'm thrilled. No, I agree with you there. I, I to be honest with you, like it, this is one of those things where I wish I was a hundred and fifty max player because there are a few guys in this. Because you're pointing out the lower six k range. Like Dylan Fratelli, yeah. Ashes Reeve, Austin Smotherman. I mean, there are guys that Martin Laird, Troy Merritt, Callum Tarrant. These are guys I'd actually be willing to speculate on if I made more than like eight to 10 lineups. I'm mostly a single entry three max guy. But I do think if you're making or even if you're in a 20 max, I do think some of these low 6K guys give you the leverage to play like three studs instead of two. And so I, I don't mind speculating at least a little bit on some of those guys because nobody's going to play. Okay, I'll I'll throw out. Um, so Luke Donald and I, I listen, we're we're scraping, but Luke Donald hemorrhages strokes off the tee mm-hmm. at every golf course except golf courses that are positional golf courses mm-hmm. like Pebble Beach, where he gained 0.7 strokes. That's only one measured round for him, but he has finished. I think he's finished runner-up at this event three different times, I want to say. More than that. One, two, three, four. He has five runner-up finishes here. No wins. Five runner-up finishes. Two more third-place finishes. Now, the recent stuff has not been as good. I, I see it as well. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I, I don't even know if I could convince myself on this, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to find something to hang my hat on. Grayson Sig was a guy I, I used to kind of like. It's just not it's not working out for him at all. Yeah, this is a this is a tough range. God, it really is. Ryan Moore, Ryan Moore at 6100. I mean, he's missed a bunch of cuts in a row, but he's he's made the cut three out of the last four times he's played here. It's just and not even, the same Ryan Moore. Even like the good guys, like the guys that I generally like, 
are sprayers like Garrick Higo is going to spray mm-hmm. it all over the yard. Taylor Pendrith is probably going to spray it all over the yard. Akshay, like, oh my God, like this just, these just horrible course fits for these guys. You know, who was interesting to me and he's a terrible putter is Lucas Glover. When I was, when I first saw the field, I was like, I might speculate on Lucas Glover as a low end 6k player. I mean, definitely team no putt, but yeah, the ball striking hasn't really been there outside of the Valero, though. This is tough. He's normally such a good ball striker. I don't know what's going on there. This is ugly. Yeah. Yikes. All right. Let us uh, let us move on to something even more outrageous, the strokes gain narrative portion of the show where people have assembled uh, any narrative they want, created lineups, and sent them in, and they have been aggregated for our entertainment purposes. So, Troy, let's see what we have for... This week, I believe we have three of them. Brent Mm -hmm. Harris uh, says the 2023 RBC Heritage is usually usually a sleepy affair. But with the elevated status, it's time for the PGA time for the PGA to puke and rally their masters hangover away. Wow, Brent. I present the strokes gain narrative hangover cures of the PGA tour. Hangover cures is the narrative here. So. Brent kicks us off with a bluey Gatorade Horschel. Billy Horschel, blue Gatorade. Patton, just a few more cuz. That's pretty good. It's probably better read than said. Uh, how about a little puking in the Stewart sink? Yeah, I've done that once or twice. Patrick can't lay. Patrick, ah, sorry. Patrick can't lay down and go to sleep. Sam, don't burns the late night pizza. Yeah, leave it in the oven all night long. And Sam, riding with the windows down on the highway. That, just in case he needs to have a reversal of fortune. That's what they call it in the major league eating industry, Sia. A reversal of fortune. Very interesting. I don't know uh, the eating terminology, so that's good. That's yeah, because, you know, puke and vomit are not necessarily like the nicest terms i think for people to hear so they've coined their own thank you brent ryan the fantasy bunker says the rbc heritage is presented by boeing i'll need a boeing to get to a few places remaining on my bucket list shane laurio de janeiro pretty good camsterdam davis <laughs> kh legypt <laughs> Scotland Stallings. Oh, this is always tough when they do this one to me. Adam Hong Kong. Hong Kong, Adam Long. Oh, boy. And C, Tahiti Pan. Did I get that one? Yeah, that was perfect. Wow. All right, good job, Ryan. Chris says, uh, strokes gain heroes and villains with the last Guardians coming out in in four weeks. Final bat flick in the flat. What is happening here? Ben Affleck as Batman, I'm assuming. Okay. I, I got to be honest, like this one, I, I like uh, Chris is always contributing. I, I'm not into like the, the the superhero Marvel, like whatever movie. So I don't even, I don't know a couple of. And movies. is that Guardians of the Galaxy? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Chris, um, what the hell's that guy's name? Chris Pratt. Is he one of the Guardians of the Galaxy? I have no idea. Anyway. 
Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Here are the names that Chris wrote down. Patrick Jabba the Hutt Cantlay, Sam the Human Torch Burns, Web Slinger Simpson, Sam Ryder of the Spaceways, Nick Fury Hardy, and JJ Spawn spelled S-P-A-W-N. Hopefully that makes more sense to those who have an idea of what Chris is talking about. There's somebody out there who's like, oh, Chris, is that, he nailed it. He nailed it. Dialed in. Got him again. There's somebody out there saying that. It's not me, but somebody's saying it. All right. Well done, boys. Uh, anything else to you before we, before we get out of here? Uh, I don't think so. Again, I, I think it's going to be – I think lineup construction is going to be really hard. So I think when you, when you kind of see where ownership might be going, don't only consider the pivots, but consider what that means from a lineup construction standpoint and try to maybe, maybe differentiate a little bit because – there's a lot of good players. I mean, 7K range, 8K range, 9K range, and the 10K range. There, there's a lot of talent. I think there's a lot of win equity once you get below those 10K guys. So um, don't be afraid. Like last last week at the Masters, if you built like an all 8K lineup, it was good for 8K and 7K. It was good for a few days. I mean, John Rahm ended up winning, but there were a lot of guys in, in those mid-ranges, low 9K, upper 8K that or and even upper 7k with Brooks Kepka that were absolutely in the mix. So in these elevated events, don't forget, yeah, there's a lot of win equity at the top, but there's also plenty of win equity in, in that sort of like that tier below and the tier below that. So it's just something to consider. This is golf after all. It's not always going to be Scotty and Rom. It just isn't. I don't know. Evidence is saying it's always going to be Scotty or Rom. <laughs> well, last week uh, that that statement was proven true. Evidence but, is mounting. Um, yeah. Next next week is the team event, which, if memory serves, there will be a DraftKings contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the way that you do it is you can only draft one of each team member. And it doesn't matter like who wins the hole or who That's doesn't right. win. It's just like if they're partners, they get the same scoring. It, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So you could pick Xander. You could pick Cantlay. They're going to be priced the same. Their scoring is going to be the same. It doesn't matter whose name you physically click. Which is why in DraftKings, you, you can't – you don't want to click both. Like if Xander's with Cantlay, you don't want to click Xander and then Cantlay because you're getting the credit for just having the Xander Cantlay. I'm not even sure they would let you. They may they not, might. but when you're clicking the buttons, it'll let you until you finalize. Oh, until you try to save. Until you hit save. So you just, just know that going in. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I uh, assuming that that is happening again this year, we'll be we'll be back for a DFS preview for uh, Zurich as well. For now, big thanks, producer Troy. Rocking all the ones and twos behind the scenes. Sia Najad available on Twitter at Sia Najad. And you can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been The First Cut. We'll catch you next time.